With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've got a terrific show for you today uh, with Sandy Rees, CFRE, as our page two expert. For those of you who are familiar with the show and those of you who may be new today, welcome, as always, here on The Nonprofit Coach. We start with page one news. <laughs> Over here on uh, page one news, just a few reminders. You can join us over in the chat room. You can also call in when we get to page two at 347-324-3080, as was mentioned by the opening announcer. You can also email me your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. Today is Tuesday, March 27th. And first up here on page one news is a little bit of a celebration uh, over here at P2P Fundraising Newsletter, which you can find at p2pfundraising.org and you can register free. Um, we celebrated the 100th issue of P2P Fundraising and Social Media Success Newsletter. We want to thank all of the 25,933-plus nonprofit executives who have subscribed to our newsletter. Uh, certainly, we hope that you will share the newsletter with friends. Of course, registration is always complimentary, so you can always forward that on. That's how you find out who is going to be our guest on the show. Of course, today it is Sandy Reese, CFRE, who is here to help you learn how to get fully funded for your organization. Over in the newsletter today, if you go to p2pfundraising.org, you'll also find information about the Digital Leap Canada 2012 conference. This is the most important digital conference for nonprofit marketers and fundraisers, um, as was uh, uh, 
noted here a couple of times here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, very pleased that the digital strategist for Movember, uh, Corey Clem, will be with us in Toronto. Uh, you can register at digitalleap.org. And don't forget, early bird registration uh, discounts are still available through the end of March. So don't miss the opportunity. Registration, as uh, Neil Galliford mentioned right here on the Nonprofit Coach last week, uh, is surpassing last year's registration already. Um, and we are moving over to the Art Gallery of Toronto, so you don't want to, or of Ontario rather, uh, to uh, make sure that uh, you get your space before this registration uh, does sell out. Uh, a great thanks to the platinum sponsor BlackBot and gold sponsor JMG Solutions for their support of the Digital Leap Conference 2012. You can always follow along uh, with the radio links at tedhart.com. Just click on radio. Uh, you'll also find uh, over in the radio links today and in our newsletter, again, the 100th uh, issue of P2P Fundraising is the current issue that just came out yesterday. Membership at that point uh, for the LinkedIn P2P fundraising LinkedIn group uh, continues to grow week after week, month after month. At the time the newsletter went out, it was at 1,651 members, which we thought was pretty good uh, until we checked today and found that it's already in one day gone up to 1,655. So these are professionals just like you who are joining in the discussion, learning from each other, learning what is working online, so all about P2P fundraising, social media success. Join the party over at People2People People Fundraising Social Networking uh, uh, Discussion Group over on LinkedIn. Thank you to the folks at LinkedIn for hosting that, uh, uh, that chat room, the discussion board that we have for people-to-people people fundraising. Next up in the page one news links that you will find at tedhart.com uh, is the uh, nonprofit social media five Facebook Twitter tips to better engage with your followers. These are uh, important tips for you to understand. Um, and sort of one of the bottom lines here is it turns out that many nonprofits are not effectively using Twitter and Facebook uh, using the tools to gain and connect with their supporters. There's a new study that's out by Bridgespan.org. Uh, you want to make sure that you get a copy. There's a link right in the article where you can get that. In the rush to go social, many nonprofits are failing to think through their strategy. The authors noted in Tweeting for a Better World. Uh, users aren't going to Twitter and Facebook to hear press release speak. They want a genuine community-minded engagement. That's what social media is all about. We talk a lot about that here on The Nonprofit Coach, so make sure that you check out today the study from bridgespan.org. Next up here on uh, page one news, a uh, little bit of a shout out for all of the Material Girl fans out there. Madonna uh, joined Twitter. She joined Twitter, Twitter for one day only uh, with the release of her new album. So uh, that was, uh, I'm sure, quite a uh, thrill for all of uh, you who like to tweet and uh, enjoy Madonna's uh, music. Uh, she was actually live on Twitter last night, uh, for um, and that started at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and the Twitter handle, if you want to read through that, is Madonna MDNA Day. So yesterday was 
Madonna MDNA Day on Twitter. Next up here on page one news uh, comes to us from Marketing Sherpa. Marketing Sherpa uh, has for you today case study about email newsletters. Social media integration yields a 135% more traffic for the New York Public Library. So here's a nonprofit organization who has taken best practices for the integration of social media and their newsletter um, and uh, has seen a dramatic increase. Now, step number one was to get plenty of content to choose from, not just a few articles, uh, but lots of information out there. Uh, step two is to promote content on Twitter. Now, the New York Public Library has more than 194,000 followers on its main Twitter feed. The team sends roughly, now here you go, for all of you uh, who are out there thinking, well, maybe I need to tweet once a week or so. No, we talk about how this is a dialogue and a discussion. This is not just a press release. The team sends out roughly 6 to 12 tweets each day on events, fundraising, blog posts, and other topics. In other words, it's tidbits of information that are interesting. It's not that every single tweet is golden. Um, what you also want to do is to look at your monthly traffic. Uh, we've talked about clout and other ways for you to uh, manage and to know what the numbers uh, look like. And you want to prominently feature posts. Um, one of the, the first things that they start doing is featuring their blog posts towards the end of their newsletter, giving prominence to other content. Um, and so what you want to do is be promoting uh, your top performers. As I've, I've mentioned here, and those of you who have been in several of my lectures, uh, you want to be promoting your Aunt Mabel's. Share their content. Retweet. And when I say Aunt Mabel's, I mean uh, those who have influenced your high-impact uh, Twitter and Facebook fans. Next up here uh, in the uh, radio links, you'll find uh, the, uh, the uh, survey continues, which president has done more uh, to support uh, philanthropy. Um, and right now I'm just checking the, uh, the results right now. And so far out in front by one vote uh, is uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton. So uh, those of you, you who have not voted, uh, you can go directly to tedhart.com and vote right there online, or you can go to the radio links uh, today, and you'll find this posted in the radio links. So we're interested in knowing what you think. Uh, lots of people have already voted, and uh, let me see. Every single president who is listed here um, has uh, has received at least uh, some vote. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Lyndon Johnson has received no votes. So uh, go ahead and uh, check that out and make sure that you vote, and we will share the results here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is just a reminder that the AFP International Conference uh, is in Vancouver this year. If you've not already registered, make sure you, that you uh, go to afpnet.org uh, and follow the link for conference. Now, one of the reminders that just came out on Twitter yesterday uh, is uh, AFP Gives Back. Uh, Sage is supporting, uh, the company Sage uh, is supporting for success service project. Uh, and uh, what they're asking is, uh, as you're packing, uh, getting ready to uh, head up to Vancouver, uh, you might throw in uh, an extra outfit or two that you don't need. Uh, that will lighten your load coming back, uh, and you can donate those to the Sage Dress for Success. Going places, going strong, 
and that's going to be supported at the AFP International Conference. More information available today at tedhart.com over in the radio links. Uh, don't miss uh, all of the information that we have uh, had for you uh, here on uh, the Page One News. Uh, and with that, it's time for us to head on over to Page Two. My pleasure to welcome here to the nonprofit coach, uh, one of the luminaries in the nonprofit sector, Sandy Rees, CFRE, is a consultant and fundraiser for the past 12 years. Her passion is showing small nonprofit organizations how to raise more money, strengthen their boards, and build relationships with their donors. She's the author of several books, and today, specifically, uh, one of those books that we want to learn all about is Get Fully Funded. Uh, which you can find online at getfullyfunded.com. She's also the author of Fundraising Buffet uh, and Simple Success Fundraising Plan and co-author of Seven Essential Steps to Fundraising Money by Mail. Sandy is an accomplished presenter, an AFP master trainer. She lives on a small farm outside of, I think it's Loudoun, Tennessee. Uh, We'll find out uh, in just a second. In her spare time, she likes to quilt garden and ride her horse harley welcome here to the nonprofit coach sandy rees thank you i'm so excited to be here with you yeah great to have you here did i get the uh, name of your uh, your small town in tennessee is that loudon yeah you got it it's loudon it's outside knoxville that's the the nearest big city that people may be familiar with Terrific. I'm just going to ask you to move a little bit closer to your phone so that uh, we can hear you nice and loud. So uh, you, you've been uh, uh, very active in the nonprofit sector for a number of years. Of course, you uh, are a certified fundraising executive, and uh, we applaud you uh, for that. That's uh, an important step, we think, for uh, all accomplished fundraisers to seek certification. I want to talk a little bit, before we get into the book, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your passion for small nonprofits. Uh, that's certainly a sector that we try to provide assistance to here uh, on the nonprofit coach. Uh, oftentimes we find that smaller nonprofits, while they need every bit of the professional assistance, they don't always have uh, the money for expensive consultants. Uh, so books such as yours really can uh, fill the gap, as can shows like this. So where does your passion come from? How did you come to the nonprofit sector? Well, Gosh, let's see. <laughs> Where did it all start? You know, actually, my first uh, experience um, was years and years ago when I was a small child. My dad was involved uh, in a civic organization that was doing some work uh, in the community, helping what they called disadvantaged kids at that time. Now we would call them an at-risk population. But I learned from an early age that there were a lot of other people around who were uh, in need of things that I had at my fingertips, so I had this awareness from an early age. Um, about 12 years ago, I found myself sitting on the board of my local rescue mission, and it really it really struck my heart that there were people who had gotten themselves in situations in their lives where they were just down on their luck and um, and in terrible situations, and they just needed a little help. And I guess I'm just a very compassionate person anyway, 
but it just it felt like something that I could do. It felt like something that I could make a huge difference in. And it wasn't long before I found myself not just on the board, but switching to a staff role to assume some of the responsibilities that the rest of the staff didn't want. We laughed for a while because they they said that they pretty much gave me all the stuff that nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> right, right. Well, and is, isn't that where um, a lot of people start with uh, the philanthropic sector is that there's a need and they come to learn or understand that they are actually in a position to make a difference. I think so. One of the things that I love about working with nonprofit fundraisers is most of them have such huge hearts. They care so much about the work they're doing. And you know, as I know, that it's not like this kind of work pays a whole lot of money. And so most of us that work in nonprofit, we do it because we like how it makes us feel. We like that we sleep really well at the end of the day knowing that we made a difference in the world. Oftentimes I've shared on the show, I don't know if you've uh, if you've heard this before, that one of uh, my beliefs is that people who are philanthropic, who want to make a difference, who support charitable organizations, um, whether they're conscious of it or not, literally would like to do that work themselves. In other words, they would like to go help those children or the homeless or the environment or whatever they're contributing to. But their philanthropic support, their dollars that they put in, in the, the trust of a, a, a nonprofit organization is really investing to make sure that that work gets done that they're not able to do themselves and that it's that trust that a charity has with their donor that it's not just a way to pay the bills but it's meeting the mission and understanding that each person who becomes an investor in that organization desperately wants that work to be accomplished and and in fact if they could probably would go and do it themselves but either they don't have the time or the skill uh, but their money becomes a substitute uh, but also becomes the the uh, factor of trust. I would totally agree with that. I, I think that there, you're exactly right. There are a lot of people who would love to go do work firsthand. They would love to go out and swing a hammer and build a habitat house, or they would love to go stand in the soup kitchen line and and help, or whatever the nonprofit is. But they they don't have the time. Or I think for some people, they they just can't quite bear it emotionally. Like it's too it's too painful to go see things firsthand. And the way that I recognize that is, you know those commercials that come on TV, usually kind of late at night for the ASPCA, and they show those animals that are in such bad shape? I can't stand Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, they're that because they're I'm, very I'm much pull at your heartstrings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I'm, I'm, for me I'm too sensitive. I can't watch that stuff. And so I think there are some people who are too sensitive to it, and the the way that they can do the most good and be the most help is to provide financial support. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and in doing that, um, the, the organization, of course, being a 501c3 nonprofit organization, it raises money from many different uh, formats of, of, uh, of giving. And that's where the professionalism of understanding what does it take to treat donors right, to prospect correctly, to maintain confidentiality of information, um, it becomes complicated to ensure that that trust is maintained, doesn't it? Well, it sure can. And 
one of the things that becomes problematic, particularly in small nonprofits, is there's so many people who get into it because they do see the need and they want to make a change, and then they find out that they've got to raise money. And there's a bit of a learning curve for them about the professionalism behind it and the, the building of relationships. And I think you're right that that's where folks like you and I come in to help them learn how to build relationships on purpose and to help them figure out what works and what doesn't in engaging people to support the, their mission and their work. And, and in doing that, that's where many, much of your writing and the work that you, you have done uh, sort of seeks to fill in the gaps for particularly small organizations. So tell me why, do you, why the focus on small organizations when, quite honestly, for consultants, larger organizations often have bigger budgets to be able to afford you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think for me it's because of my experience in working with what I would consider small organizations. Um, I've worked at a rescue mission, a food bank, an after-school program for kids. I've volunteered with animal groups and habitat and all kinds of different things. And I think it was probably when I was at the food bank of looking around for maybe some help and realizing that, gee whiz, all these consultants are so expensive. Why do, Why is that? What? What's that about? And so then when I made the decision to become a consultant, my heart was already in small organizations because that's where most of my experience was. And I knew that an awful lot of people just needed a little bit of help in order to make a big change in the way that they were raising money. In, in other words, a little bit of redirection or a little bit of guidance could provide significant returns for some organizations. So that's, and, and that's, that's, and that's really I interesting that, that, that you bring that up. So so oftentimes you find that it's not a matter of sort of starting from scratch or rewriting the entire plan, but small changes can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times when I'm talking with an organization, it's exactly that. It's It's little tweaks. It's little insights. It's smaller things that can make a big difference. Um, I just want know, to share a, um, a, a comment uh, from uh, one of your clients, I believe, Nina Marketson, who's the executive director for Horse Haven of Tennessee, and she said exactly the point that you're making, that Sandy made two simple suggestions for our year-end appeal. We made both of them to our delight. Uh, we more than met our goal, including raising over $7,000 in just two weeks. This puts us in our best financial position ever to start the new year. Thanks, Sandy. Um, that was not a big client for you or a big contract for you. That was uh, you coming in with professional expertise and making what to you seems like very simple uh, uh, tweaks, as you say, uh, but ended up being significant to the organization. Oh, gosh, yeah. And that that's an organization that's near and dear to my heart, so I was so happy to help them make those little changes that resulted in some big big money for them. I mean, other organizations may say, okay, $7,000, eh, not so much money. But I know for a lot of small organizations, they're out there saying, oh, wait. <laughs> no, no, $7,000 in new money is a lot for small organizations. It really can. It, it certainly can be the difference between making the bill, the bill payments and not making it. That or starting a new program or taking people off of a waiting list or getting a new piece of equipment, $7,000 can be significant for any organization, actually. 
And, and so um, the focus um, is, is generally for most of the work that you do in, in sort of the strategic tweets, uh, twi uh, if, if you will, or is it uh, sort of wholesale strategy uh, from start to finish for organizations? Most of the time what I do is get organizations refocused and redirected. What I find is that I'm very good at thinking in big picture and small detail at the same time, and a lot of the work that I do revolves somewhere around planning, around putting some kind of a plan together for moving them forward, and, and that gives folks a lot of comfort. But a lot of times I can listen to what their goals are and listen to what they're trying to do and zero in on the strategies that will give them the biggest return for the least amount of effort for the greatest long-term impact on the organization. And that's what I really like to go for. I get really frustrated when I, when I see folks in small shops who are trying everything. It's almost like they've got some shiny ball syndrome. <laughs> you know, they see another yeah, organization it, doing a golf tournament. Every so idea is a good idea, a right? Is, yeah, is that right? Yeah, every idea so is a good I, idea? Yeah, and, and I like to try to help them really zero in on what's going to help them move toward their greatest goal in the biggest steps in the shortest amount of time. You know, so I, I have to help them understand that not everything is a good idea. Let's focus on those things that are going to help you achieve your goal. And so where do you start in that analysis? Because that that's certainly an approach that we've mentioned many times here uh, on this show. But wh where where do you typically find that you start in your analysis that leads you in the path of success? You know what? I always start with the mission. I like to ask organizations, what are you trying to do? What What's your biggest goal? And I'm a big thinker. You know, I, I almost came across the table at an executive director a couple of weeks ago because I asked him what what was his goal, and he said, "Well, to raise more money than last year." <laughs> and I said, "No. <laughs> what what about helping people? What about you know your mission? How about let's not focus on raising more money than last year for a minute. Let's talk about lives that you're changing, and and I want to hear about how many more lives you want to change. Are you okay?" with how many people that you're helping right now, or do you want to increase that? Do you have a waiting list? So I usually start with what's the situation around the mission and how much passion the staff and the board has for helping more people. If I can get I had a long talk. That, uh, I don't know if you caught the uh, the, the show, uh, our Christmas show in December, but I had a long talk with Kay Sprinkle Grace on that very uh, that very topic. Is going back to what is that mission statement? Why are you here? And I always start asking by asking that question because oftentimes I find that nonprofit organizations are raising money out of habit. They're raising money to make a budget. They're raising money even to support programs and building that just historically has been there and so that becomes the focus as opposed to stepping back and saying you know should we even be doing what we're doing it, is this the best way to meet our mission what is our mission and and that oftentimes can be a revelation particularly to a board of directors um, who you know maybe several generations past the founders um, to realize that they are the ones who are actually uh, to set that path as opposed to just doing what's been done in the past. Oh, I completely agree. I love that. I think you're so right that some people are just fundraising out of habit. 
because that's what they've always done. And one of the things that I'll say to them is, okay, if you are on a timeline and you can look back to the left and see where you've been and there's a point where you are right now and then let's think about your mission and where you'd like to go as being off into the future, you have to realize that what you've done to get you here is not going to be what it takes to get you there, that it's going to take something different to get you moving into the future to help more people, change more lives, whatever it is your mission is about, we got to do things different. We can't do the same old, same old. What, I'll just have you reflect on this. One uh, one that sticks in, in my mind is a, an organization that that, uh, that I was assisting, and they were very, very concerned. They had a daycare center. Uh, they were concerned about census. C- census was down. Um, they had been discounting um, their, their fees for quite some time, so uh, a lot of the folks who were there really couldn't afford the, the, the services that they were providing. They were very concerned about going out of business. They were very concerned about meeting their budget. And I really sort of shocked them by, you know, pulling all the way back and, and asking, well, why do you have a daycare? You know, why? It, because it was, we went all the way back to their mission was to uh, to help women and children. And I said, well, one way to do that is a child care, but if it's not working and it's not the big need because there's so many competitors, in fact, there is daycare in your community. Uh, there are other things that probably need to be done that other people are not doing, and it really helped the board go back and focus on, well, what should we actually be doing rather than spinning our wheels around things that are already being taken care of? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah, sometimes I think an organization needs an outside person to come in and shake things up a little bit. That's what causes them to to back up. They don't seem to want to do that on their own. When uh, we come back from uh, the break, I do want to uh, start delving into uh, this uh, this book, uh, this process, Get Fully Funded. Uh, the subtitle is Helping Nonprofit Directors Raise the Money of Their Dreams. I'm very interested uh, to hear how you raise money of your dreams, and we'll be right back after this reminder. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Before we uh, head back and get a chance to uh, talk to Sandy again, I do want to just remind people, uh, grab your calendars, just a few updates on the schedule uh, for uh, upcoming shows. Now, next week, uh, April 3rd, we will not be live here on the Nonprofit Coach. Don't worry, I'll be okay. I'll be up at the AFP International Conference in Vancouver uh, and actually lecturing um, uh, up at the conference, and uh, the Tuesday uh, schedule is is not going to work for me while I'm up in Vancouver. So that's a really good day. Uh, for you to just plan, keep it on your calendar, Nonprofit Coach Time, uh, and you can access uh, right at tedhart.com all of the archived editions of the Nonprofit Coach. And, of course, uh, all of the uh, archived uh, editions uh, are uh, more than 70 different archived versions of the Nonprofit Coach uh, from everything regarding uh, online fundraising, social media, grant writing, nonprofit management. It's all there. Uh, and it's all available to you, of course, free at tedhart.com. 
So next Tuesday, uh, that's a good day for you to catch up on any of the podcasts that you have missed. Now, right after that, on April 10th, that's going to be our big Earth Day show. Now, no, April 10th is not actually Earth Day, but what we want to do is help you prepare for Earth Day. Uh, and uh, this is in partnership with GreenNonprofits.org. This will be the special Green Show. Franklin Russell uh, will be um, our guest on the show that day. Uh, he is with the Earth Day Network. Uh, and uh, so you can uh, check all of that out. Make sure that uh, uh, you join us. He's the assistant director of Earth Day, uh, and uh, he's going to be talking to us about all the programming, uh, all of the work uh, that uh, that is being done. So this is a, a terrific opportunity for you to get caught up and plan ahead for how your nonprofit organization is going to do right by the environment uh, by potentially becoming more green. And while you're at it, uh, to check out the work of greennonprofits.org. Now, April 17th is going to be Ken Berger. Ken Berger is going to be with us. Uh, he is president and CEO of Charity Navigator. Uh, we're actually going to be uh, talking about Charity Navigator, uh, sort of 2.0, and celebrating the 10th anniversary of Charity Navigator. Rounding out April, uh, don't. Uh, this will be another opportunity for you to catch up. There will not be a show on April 24th. Uh, your host's birthday is right around that time. Uh, and I'm uh, not going to be available to do the show, but it is another good time for you uh, to reach out and catch up on all the archived versions of all of the Nonprofit Coach uh, radio shows. So we're going to uh, head right back over uh, and catch up with Sandy Rees and find out how your organization can get fully funded. Sandy, I'd like to raise the money of my dreams. How do I do it? Awesome. <laughs> well, first you have to know how much that is. The first thing that I guide people through is to figure now, out wait, I'm going to what stop is you right, the money of your dreams. Andy, because isn't the rule of thumb in fundraising to just raise as much money as you can from as many different sources? Why are you saying I have to know how much I need? <laughs> well, because here's the thing. If you say you want to raise a lot of money, I don't know how much that is. You don't know how much that is. And you don't know when to stop, and you don't know when to celebrate. A lot of money could be $10, or it could be 10000 or $10 million. We need to be specific in, if we're going to be successful in raising a large amount of money. We've got to have a, a definite goal to shoot for. And that's why I like to guide people through being very specific about that amount of money. Otherwise, how do you know? How do you know when you cross the finish line? Well, and, and and that's not just internal, right? I mean, that's that signals to your donors where do I fit? I mean, if 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 all I can afford is say you know ten thousand dollars to support your organization, and your goal is a hundred thousand dollars, well, I'm a pretty significant player with that organization, uh, if uh, if your uh, uh, goal is $10 million, it doesn't say my 10000 doesn't matter, but it does tell me where I fit in the scheme of your prospects and your work. Isn't that right? Yeah, it, that is exactly right. And that can have a big impact on whether or not people want to give. So many people want to make sure or they want to feel like their gift is meaningful and significant. 
And if if they're not sure, then you've got to do a little more communication, a little more education with them to help them understand how their gift does make a difference and how it does matter, even if they perceive it as being small and possibly insignificant. Um, it's real important to help people figure out, like you say, where they fit so that they'll want to give. I once had... Uh an executive director that uh, that I that I worked with, who uh, and you'll you'll know from the comment, was not particularly skilled in fundraising, and uh, and her her view was she said, well, I can fundraise because what you do is you take people to lunch and they give you checks. <laughs> is that how you fundraise? Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, no. <laughs> Actually, that might be one step in the process. But it's just that. It's one step in the process. And there are a lot of other things that have to happen. And part of the the get fully funded system goes into all those other steps. It's about identifying your what it is you need help with or what is your compelling mission and then figuring out who your ideal target is and then figuring out how to cultivate that prospect so that they feel engaged And if you do all these steps right, then that ask becomes as simple as reaching up to a ripe apple and barely touching it, and it falls right off the tree. Asking becomes so simple. It's not a difficult process at all when you do the other steps right. Now, so so many people talk about low-hanging fruit and blah, 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 blah. What what does that mean? I mean, how how do you actually identify that, you know, your your next big prospect, as I always try to uh, uh, tell people, your next best prospect you probably already know, and they look at you like you're crazy. I don't. It's it's big money. It's out there. It's somebody new. Um, So which is true? Well, I would totally agree with you that for those people who are listening, your next best prospect is already giving to your organization or they're already supporting you in some way. It becomes then a matter of getting to know people. And what you have to remember is that people are not going to write you a big check just because you're a nonprofit organization and because you are, quote, worthy of support. Remember that that it's about relationships and it's about engaging people where they are. It's about finding out why somebody loves your organization and what is it about your organization that makes them want to give their time or their money. And once you figure that out, then that giving becomes very easy. And let me give you a let me give you an example of that. When I was at the food bank, we had a donor, uh, it was actually a couple, a married couple, and they were giving a gift of about $5,000 a year. And the thing was, we had no phone number for them. We had no physical address. We had a P.O. box, and that was it. So we had to get real creative about how to thank those people. We could not assume that they would continue to give every year. I mean, that's that's a, a mistake that a lot of organizations make. Oh, well, these people are giving five thousand dollars. They'll keep doing it every year. We don't have to do anything. We, we can just budget it. We we can just budget it because that's that's how money comes in. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, fortunately, I had become a member of AFP and was attending conferences and learning um, from some of the best minds in the field. And I knew that I needed to figure out a way to cultivate those people, even if I didn't have an address. 
So what we did was uh, whenever we would get a gift, we did a series of acknowledgement and thanks. And it, it was everything from our standard thank you letter to handwritten notes from me and the executive director. And then we would, I would take a card and pass it around at the staff meeting and everybody would sign it. And these would go out over a series of weeks. The other thing that I did was I would invite them to anything and everything we had going on. Um, if it was an open house we were having, I invited them to that. If it was um, a special event we were having, I invited them to that. And after two or three years of this, one day the phone rang, and it was the wife. And she said, we got your note about coming to the dinner, and we would love to come. And that was all I could do, not to just scream right then and there. I was so excited to finally get them on the phone. And um, so they, they came to the dinner, and it was one of those big dinners where we had uh, big round tables and table captains and so forth. So I put them at the table with my board chair, and I had grabbed him ahead of time and said, okay, look, these people are going to sit at your table. Here's your job. Your job is just to get to know them. Ask them some open-ended questions. Find out why they love the organization. So he, he was so excited and ready to do this, and he pulled his wife in, and, and they were the perfect hosts. And, um, of course, I was busy as a development director putting on the event, but I did get some time to go by and meet them in person and talk to them, and um, and it was beautiful. And then I debriefed with our board chair later, and we'd gotten a lot of information about why these people loved our organization and, and how they first got involved. And basically we found out what their hot buttons were. And then later when we had a specific need, it matched up perfectly with their interests, and I was able to go back to them and give them the opportunity to participate in a project that lined up with their needs, and they gave us a $25,000 gift. So they, in essence, didn't just double or triple their giving. They uh, went five times their giving. And it was all because we, we kept reaching out to them to engage them in a relationship. And then when we had the opportunity, we just got to know them and then matched up their interest with a need that we had. And the rest was... Now, that's a very I mean, specific approach uh, to, to fundraising that I really want to highlight um, because another approach is we need money and you give to what we need as opposed to it's your money, what would you like to accomplish with it? And, and I, I really think that those are two very distinct uh, approaches uh, to, uh, to people's uh, philanthropic solicitation. They are very different approaches, and you know what I know, that the very specific approach works. Uh, you really do have to get out of your thinking that you just need money, somebody give me money, and really start thinking about what is it that people want to help with. What I find is when you have a lot of people supporting your organization, you will have different people who are interested in, in all the different things that you're doing. So in other words, if you have, let's say you have four different programs for your organization and you have a hundred people who are giving, you're going to have people who are interested in each of your four programs. It, the numbers are just going to work out that way. Then it becomes your job as a fundraiser to really figure out who's interested in what and try to match them up. And the more you can do that, the, the happier your donors are going to be and the more money they're going to be willing to give because you're asking them to give to something that they care so deeply about. Exactly, and that, that's that's really the difference between a fundraiser and a development professional, isn't it? 
Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, fundraising is simply separating people from their money. Development is building relationships and cultivating those partnerships with donors, and that's what results in long-term sustainability for your organization. What I always try to help boards of directors understand when they when they hire a CFRE, when they hire a development uh, professional, is uh, that you know they they view that as sort of the magic person, the person who's going to come in and there's going to be lots of money that we can now go spend. And what I try to point out to them is that a development professional develops the opportunities for people to give. They organize and strategize and provide you with that professional assistance in maximizing the potential of the organization organization, but a simple fundraiser just asks for money, and that's not how you raise money. Right. It, well, you can do it that way, but then it's going to be a struggle. I've right. I've talked to so well, many people the, that just say, so, so many folks just struggle year after year. It's like the, the calendar date rolls over to a new fiscal year, and they start all over raising money, and it doesn't have to be that way. When you engage well, in development, those are, those are the, you're building well, relationships. And Sandy, you and I have both uh, followed people like this or, or have uh, run across people. Those are the people who are very willing to say, uh, if you just make a gift now, we'll never ask you again. <laughs> yeah, and that doesn't work either. <laughs> Well, it, you know, it's just, because, it's not yeah. possible. You're not being honest, and quite honestly, you know, one of the things that for a lot of organizations they just don't understand is that when you ask for money, particularly for from a high net worth individual or foundation or corporation, you're not the first one to ask. They know what a good ask looks like. They know what to expect, and if you're not going to compete, you're not going to maximize your support, no matter how much they think you're a good organization. Yes, that's exactly right, and I've told people that, too, that this is probably not going to be their first time to be asked, um, so just relax. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, there's so much we could talk about about major gift strategy, and I've told lots of organizations that, you know, with the way things are these days, the economy has been down. It's improving. Donors are so much smarter than they used to be, the way that we used to do fundraising, I think, is over. And I think there's a new day dawning that's much more about development than fundraising. It's much more about building relationships and engaging people. It's much more about being authentic in fundraising and not just trying to hurry up and get that gift for today. It's got to be much more about setting up sustainable giving so that there's not a gift just today, but that those people want to give again next year and the year after that and the year after that and so forth. And, and that really is uh, part of the, the, the art of, of fundraising. One of the ways that I try to help people uh, understand that concept is is I'll tell them, you know, I, I have something really important to uh, to tell you, and oftentimes, that you know, that will get their attention. And I'll say, I have no fear that you will raise too much money. And they stop and they think about that, and then they kind of chuckle a little bit. I say, your organization will manage to spend whatever it is that you raise. And guess what? They'll want more next year. So the the issue here is not the need for money. The issue here is maximizing the support for uh, on behalf of people who want to make a difference. Yes. That's what becomes sustainable. I completely agree. That's right. That's right. 
and sustainability is a big part of it. I mean, there's to me, there's no point going and raising money for a good cause this year if I don't have an idea about how I'm going to do it again next year or if I don't have an idea about how I'm setting myself up for success long term. You know, one of the things that my dad said to me years ago, and it used to make me so mad, but now I see that he was so on to something good. I can remember helping out a family with a food box at, at Christmas time and just being so happy about that. I felt so good about helping. And he said to me, well, that's great, but what's that family supposed to do for the rest of the year? What's that family supposed to do on the, the other days of the year when it's not the holiday season? And that made right. me so mad. You know, but I think he was really on to something. It's not just for that family. It's not just helping them out now. That's great, but how can you back up and help them in a different way? And I think fundraising is like that, too. It's not enough to just raise money for right now, but how do we put things in place? How do we put relationships and systems and processes in place so that the money comes in easily and in large quantities from now until we work ourselves out of a job? So uh, we're just going to uh, very quickly uh, share some important information uh, from the fine folks at Google. Um, And if uh, you can uh, just reflect on uh, this very specific points, watching the clock here, realizing that we only have about 10 minutes left. It's amazing how fast this uh, this show goes by. Um, So if you could uh, just uh, think what are the very concrete steps on getting fully funded that we want to make sure that everybody walks away with Uh, here today, and we'll be right back. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call to action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. And we're back here with uh, Sandy Rees and uh, uh, her terrific system, Get Fully Funded. Uh, now, Sandy, while uh, we were away on uh, on the break, uh, we did get a question from Tom uh, in uh, Denver, and he's asking specifically, how do you identify uh, your best prospects? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, 
and let me answer that sort of in a way of, of also addressing what are the steps in the system for getting fully funded. There are seven steps in the system that go through things like making fundraising a priority, understanding why people give. Step three is identifying the best donor prospect. And one of the ways that we do that is by digging into some real basic marketing principles. It's really not any different than how a for-profit business figures out who their best customer is. It's about looking at the people who are already giving to your organization, or if you're just getting started, you look at your board and your volunteers, and you figure out what they have in common. You start looking for demographics and psychographics and all kinds of things that will start to give you hints as to your your best donor prospect is. And once you know something about them, then you can figure out how to go find them easily. And let me give you a quick example. Um, this, again, from my experience at the food bank. We started doing this uh, about the second year or so that I was there. We started thinking about who is our best prospect. And as we looked at the donors that we already had and we looked at the volunteers that we had and the people who were um, offering up larger gifts, we figured out that our best prospect was female, age 55 plus, educated, uh, attended church, and did a lot of volunteer work in the community. So what we did with that is we started looking for opportunities to go and speak or interact to those kind of groups. What happened was we found lots of opportunities to speak to women's groups at churches. We knew that that was where our best donor prospect was hanging out. Once we got there and spoke to them, then we made sure we had a call to action. So we were able to offer them ways to come and get involved with the food bank. And after we did that for a year or so, we saw our number of donors increase dramatically. And it wasn't just people who were giving. It was our ideal prospects. They were giving in large numbers and in large amounts, and it was wonderful. So the, identifying the best donor prospect uh, is about digging into some basic marketing stuff. And like I said, there's a whole step in the book, in the system, that works through that with you to help you figure out who are you looking for and what might they have in common. The rest of the steps in the system go into things like telling your story, knowing what to share and when so that you're providing something interesting and compelling for your donor prospect to listen to. You can't just tell everything you know. We, we know way too much about our organizations, and we've all made the mistake of trying to tell everything we know. And it's too much. It's overwhelming for people. So I walk you through a whole series of, of questions and worksheets to help you figure out how to best tell your story so that people will respond. The next step now, in Sandy, the absolutely funded system is not available on Amazon. Uh, how would someone find uh, the system? How would they get it? Uh, and what do they get when they get it? Okay, that's a good question. It's not available on Amazon. Actually, the only place that you can get it is on my website at getfullyfunded.com. Um, you can get it in one of two versions. I have what I would call the principles of Get Fully Funded, and it comes in a paperback version. Um, the price point on that is $47 for the paperback or $37 for um, the ebook. Or you can get the deluxe version, and it comes with 101 worksheets, templates, and checklists to make the implementation easier. 
That's one of the things that I'm known for is to take a concept and break it down into step-by-step processes and manageable chunks so that it's easily understood and easily implemented. Um, The other thing that comes with the deluxe version is three months of support. What I found is that sometimes people have questions, and I wanted to be able to address that. So every week I jump on the phone in a Q&A style format with people who are working through the Get Fully Funded system, and we talk about where they are, and we talk about where they're stuck. And a lot of times they'll learn from each other as well. Somebody will be stuck with some board-related issue, and someone else will jump in and say, hey, here's how we fixed that and how we handled it. So um, uh, it's, a, it's a great little community. It's a great little group of people who are all working toward the same thing, and that is raising the money of their dreams. And, and Sandy, what is, uh, of, of all the years of experience and, and all the different groups that you work with, what are some of the common themes that most organizations should be aware of? Uh, is it work on the board of directors? Is it identifying top prospects? Is it computer systems? Is it social media? What are the things that have made the biggest difference to the folks that you've worked with? Wow. I think there are lots of things that have made huge differences. What I have seen over and over is a focus on individual donors has probably made the biggest difference. Now, that that assumes that you've got some good infrastructure in place. That assumes that you've got uh, at least a decent board in place. If you don't have some of those things, you might need to work on those first. Infrastructure is important. You've got to have systems and software and so forth because if you don't, yeah, if you don't have that stuff in place, it's going to be tough to manage the gifts properly on the back end. But right, I really but Sandy, think I was just wondering, what do you donors. consider a decent board? I mean, how how do you look at your board and say this is a decent board? Well, if at least most of them are attending meetings and they're participating in a committee and they're doing some stuff, they're doing something. If they go out and speak favorably about the organization and the community, <laughs> uh, those are signs of a decent board. <laughs> Okay, so so that's something that you can build off from uh, is if you've at least got that as a start. Yeah, yeah, you really can. Um, unfortunately, there are way, way too many boards out there that are way dysfunctional and um, almost cause more trouble than they're worth, and that's a whole other call to talk about board uh, but issues. But if that's but, the case, you know, if your board But if that's the case and, and, and you're wondering why you're not succeeding – uh, that could be part of the issue, right? It absolutely could. It, it absolutely could. Um, I like to see a board that at least is passionate about the cause. Even if they're not real sure what to do, they care, and they're there. If they care and they're there, then at least you can start to give them some guidance about ways that they can get involved and be a big help to the organization, and especially in fundraising. That's great. Sandy, in the, the few moments uh, that we have left here, um, in addition to your website, getfullyfunded.com, uh, how can our listeners uh, uh, connect with you? Well, I'm on Twitter at, at Sandy Reese, and I'm always sharing lots of stuff there from my blog and from um, all kinds of other stuff. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me personally at Sandy Reese, or you can find me at facebook.com slash getfullyfunded. So I'm in both of those places, also on LinkedIn, uh, at Sandy Reese, and um, on YouTube as well. 
Terrific, terrific. Everyone, don't forget, uh, no show next uh, next week here on the Nonprofit Coach. Listen to our podcast. I'll be up at the AFP International Conference in Vancouver. We'll be right back here on the Nonprofit Coach April 10th for the big Earth Day show in cooperation with GreenNonprofits.org. Sandy Rees, thank you so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.